we're going to celebrate the resurrection by hearing of it. We're going to hear several accounts from several different angles. And the theme of this message is disappointment and despair leading to joy and hope. Disappointment and despair leading into joy and hope. This is what the resurrection means, among many other things. One of the stories I want to recount with you, all these texts will be familiar, none of these will be unfamiliar to you, is Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' closest disciples, not one of the 12 disciples, but one of his closest disciples, and one that maybe loved him most, we could say, perhaps, maybe. She was so distraught that Jesus was hung on a cross, buried in a tomb, and on the third day, Sunday, went to visit the tomb and found that he was not there. And so let's break into that account in John 20, 11 to 18. Mary stood outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. He said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. And so here we see Mary distraught, uncontrollably weeping. In fact, one thing that we can note is it doesn't even seem like she realized she was in the presence of two angels. She just seems to miss the fact that there's these two heavenly, immaterial, spiritual beings having a conversation with her. She doesn't even mention that they're angels. And my guess is it's not that they just looked like men. It's that she was so emotionally distraught that the concept of I'm in the presence of two holy angels did not dawn on her. Have you ever been so emotionally distraught or so emotionally in despair that it's almost like it's all consuming and everything else is like a blur? Have you ever been there? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, emotions are very powerful. They're almost like drugs. They're almost like... Uh, depending on how severe, they could be like being drunk. You just don't have control of yourself. And Mary Magdalene is clearly disappointed 
and she is despairing. Yet notice how quickly she moves from disappointment and despair to joy. As soon as Jesus says to her, Mary, boom, it it dawns on her, he is alive and he is right here in my presence. And she goes from terrible disappointment, terrible depression into joy. And then she clings to Jesus. The scene is she grabs onto him and embraces him. And he says, Mary, Mary, I have not yet ascended. And and that's kind of strange. But what I think he's saying is he still has work to do for 40 days before he returns to heaven with the Father. And this is not the eternal state. Yes, this is the beginning, Mary. But you can't cling to me because I must ascend to my Father. But he's also your Father, Mary. He says here, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but rather, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and be a witness. I want you to go and tell what you've seen and what you've heard. Go and tell my brothers, the other disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then she listens. She goes and she announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And did they believe her? Do you remember? No, they don't believe her. They want to see for themselves. And you remember Peter and John go running to the tomb and John gets there first and he stands outside and kind of creeps in and Peter blows past him into the tomb. And it's true. He's not there. But do they, do they yet believe that he is risen? Well, not until he shows up in a locked room. Doors locked, windows locked, and he just appears in the room. And they think he's a ghost. You remember? And he's like, look, look, do ghosts have flesh and bones? Give me, do you have something to eat? And they give him some broiled fish and he eats. Can can ghosts eat? It is the Lord. And you remember Thomas was not there, but he was told the account. And Thomas says, unless I can put my hands in the wounds, I will not believe. And so later, Jesus shows up when Thomas is there. And he, Thomas, here, place your hands in the wounds. And Thomas falls down and declares, my Lord and my God. What a declaration. You are Lord and God. G.K. Chesterton is a poet, a novelist, a Catholic theologian. He's been dead for some time. But brilliant writer. He says this, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth, and in a semblance of the gardener God, walked again in the garden, in the cool of not the evening, but of the dawn. And so Chesterton sees an echo of Genesis where God would walk through the garden in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. But now 
He's in the dawn, walking in the garden again. Jesus God, resurrected. And think about it. Heaven, if you will, paradise, was the Garden of Eden. And we lost paradise when we sinned in Genesis 3. We did what God told us not to do. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We lost God in his presence. And so what does God do? He comes and he pursues Adam and Eve. And he comes looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? And Adam's hiding from God. No longer welcoming God's presence in the garden as he once did. And God pursues. He comes after Adam. I was naked and so I hid. Who told you you were naked? (laughs) What a great question. How did you know you were naked, Adam? Let's talk about that. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And so we lose the, the presence of God in the garden. And yet here, Mary, the first, gains the presence of God back in a way where she even can embrace God. Think about that. She's holding on to God in the flesh, resurrected, alive, not a ghost, not a spirit, physical with atoms, protons, electrons, neutrons, able to eat salmon, probably smoked over a nice coal, coals of fire. And what Chesterton realizes here, he's right, this is not just a resurrection of a man. This is the beginning of the new creation. Because friends, we too who are in Christ will be resurrected in a body like his. He is the first fruit from the dead. An Old Testament metaphor meaning the first, the first of the crops, the first of the animals, the first of the children, the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning a metaphor for if you're a Christian, you've died. And so we too will rise like Jesus because he is risen. And friends, if you've ever been to a funeral, I've done many funerals, they're sad, they're hard. But when the person is a Christian, when they've trusted in Jesus, there is a heaviness in the air, but I will tell you it's not as heavy. The reason is, is because there's a hope in the air. There's hope in the air because... There's a foundational understanding that we will meet again. This is because Jesus is alive and risen. Death is overcome. Death is not the end of the story. In fact, death is the beginning of a new story. Here Chesterton sees the whole new creation is in the resurrection. Now Jesus had friends when he walked on the earth. Did you know that? He wasn't just a a solo kind of lone rabbi teacher. He had good friends, very close friends. Three of those friends went by the name of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And you remember there's a story where Jesus is far away and Lazarus is sick. And word comes to Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. And so in response to this news, he stays where he is for another several days. And once he gets the news that Lazarus has died, he says, all right, guys, let's go. Let's go see Lazarus. He's already dead. We're going to go wake him. Well, if he sleeps, he'll wake. No, Lazarus has died. Let's go. And you remember the story. 
Jesus shows up on the scene, and Martha said to Jesus, now she's in despair, she's distraught, she's weeping as Mary Magdalene was, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd have just showed up, he would be alive right now. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's a declaration of faith. I trust you, and I know that whatever you ask of God, he's going to give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha actually has some good theology for not having the New Testament, for not having 1 Corinthians 15, from which we read earlier. Because look at what she says. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Mary underst- or, I'm sorry, Martha understands that there is one day going to be this great resurrection of the dead. Did you know that Revelation 21 points to this? I'm sorry, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. It says, the dead great and small, meaning important people and non-important people, standing before the throne, the throne of Christ, the great resurrection. And some will depart, depart into everlasting life. And the unfortunate reality that the Bible makes clear is that some will depart to everlasting death. But the dead will be raised, all of them, not just Christians, all the dead will rise. Some will depart to life and some will depart to death. And so Martha understands this. She's like, look, I know on the last day, Lazarus is going to rise. I understand that. And look at his response. I love this. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now think about this. If Jesus was just some man, think about a declaration like that. If someone just said, look, I am the resurrection. I am the life. (laughs) Whatever life is, I embody it. I am the author. And if you believe in me, if you will just believe in me, though you die, you will actually live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, if anyone but the risen Christ made this declaration, we would think them crazy. We would think them insane. But yet Jesus, remember, is not just any man. He is the creator, according to John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. And the creator became his own creation. And the creator lived perfectly according to his own moral standard. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself continuously every day. And so he says, look, I am the author of life. And if you will just believe in me, if you will put your hope and trust in me, you will have resurrection life because in me is resurrection. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus swallows up death and in him, we have life. Death is not the final word. Life is the final word. Our death simply ushers us into eternal life with God. And our hope is that there is a whole new 
creation awaiting us. Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Christ, remember, meaning Messiah. You are the promised one of the Old Testament. You are the one that we've been waiting for to come and to save Israel. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Not just the Messiah, but also the Son of God who is coming into the world. And you remember the story, right? They go to the tomb, show me where you've laid him. And so they go to the tomb. He's been dead for four days. And he says, remove the stone. By this time, there will be a terrible smell. I don't think that's a good idea, Jesus. Remove it. And you could just see them. Like whoever rolled that stone away, it must have been several people. They're probably like, oh my gosh. You know, maybe some of them threw up. Uh, And so Jesus prays, Lazarus, come forth. And what we think of as a mummy, an Egyptian mummy comes walking out and everyone's just astonished. And at that moment, despair, depression, sadness instantly turns to joy and hope. Resurrection. What I'm trying to get you to see is there is this theme in the New Testament of resurrection creating joy and hope. And this is what I want us to walk away with today. Joy and hope. This life with all of its trouble, all of its depressing realities, all of its disappointing news, all of its setbacks is not the last chapter, friends. We're not in a tragedy. And so Keller, one of my favorite theologian authors, Uh, In the reason for God. How many of you read the reason for God? Let me see your hands. Hi. More of you should have read that book. Okay. It's like 13, 14 years old now. Here's application for this sermon. Go read the reason for God and you will be blessed. Here's one little section of the book on resurrection. Ready? For the one who suffers, the Christian faith provides a resource, not just for its teaching on the cross, but also the fact of the resurrection. The Bible teaches that the future is not an immaterial paradise, but a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21, we do not see human beings being taken out of the world into heaven, but rather heaven coming down and cleansing, renewing, and perfecting this material world. The secular view of things, of course, sees no future restoration after dead or history. Eastern religions believe we lose our individuality and return to the great all soul. So our material lives in this world are gone forever. Even religions that believe in a heavenly paradise consider it a consolation for the loss and pain of this life and all its joys might have been. But then Keller goes on. But the biblical view of things is resurrection. Not a future that is just a consolation for the life we never had, but a restoration of the life you've always wanted. This means that every horrible thing that ever happened will not only be undone and repaired, but will in some way make the eventual glory and joy even greater. 
Everything sad is going to come untrue. And it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. And isn't this just what we saw in the last two stories? That the treasure of having Jesus back is greater having lost him. The treasure of having Lazarus back is, is greater for having once lost him. We have lost God, lost paradise, but friends, we're going to get it back. God's presence will be ours. Here is the most clear declaration in the scriptures. Okay, and we're almost done. Okay, we're almost done. Revelation 21, 1 to 8 says this. John the Apostle, who wrote the Gospel of John, says this. He's seeing visions from God, and he's seeing into the future. He's seeing this reality that Tim Keller just spoke of. Heaven coming down to cleanse and renew earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, by the way, I just I have to do this. When we read Revelation, friends, we should try to find where are all these references in the Old Testament. Okay? Did you know that the new heavens and the new earth are in the Old Testament? It's in Isaiah, and it's very clear. In fact, much of Revelation is taken from Isaiah and opened up. Okay? Much of Revelation is Old Testament texts revealed and applied. Okay? So Isaiah speaks of a new heaven and a new earth where the animal kingdom will be in harmony and, and the people kingdom and the animal kingdom will also be in harmony such that the child will stick its hand in the viper's hole and not be harmed. You remember that? The bear and the lion will eat straw like an ox. Isaiah. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Let me ask you a question. Where's the first earth? You're sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the promise here, friends, is that this current earth, the way it works right now with all of its hurricanes and all of its typhoons and all of its earthquakes and all of its freezing cold weather and all of its scorching heat and all of its famines, all of this natural evil, if we could call it that, this is the first earth. And the promise is it's going to pass away. Where is the first heavens, everything above us, the universe, the stars, our solar system, our Milky Way galaxies, the Andromeda galaxy, all the galaxies that we can see with powerful telescopes. That's the first heavens. And God here is going to promise, he's promising a new heavens and a new earth remade, refreshed, renewed. How many of you like to take old things like furniture or cars or bikes or pictures and re renew them and remake them. You let anyone like to do that? Okay. It's fun, right? So think about it. Renew. You make it new again. You don't pulverize it and then reassemble it. It gets a facelift. It gets reworked. It gets nude again. That's the image here is that God's going to take what is and he's going to new it Again, did you know that your body, Christian, will be your body forever, but it will be nude, not, not naked, but maybe, we don't know. We're not given many details, but new ED. <laughs> I saw it on some of your faces like, oh, that's going to be weird, man. 
new ED. <laughs> and I saw the holy city. Okay, in this new reality of a new earth is a holy city. Where's the holy city now, according to the Bible? Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem the holy city? Have you ever thought about that? The, whole, the, the Jerusalem is the holy city, according to the scriptures, is because it's where the temple was, and it's where the king sat, and it's where the manifest presence of God dwelt until the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's called the holy city. It's also the, the territory that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that promise is then extended to the church. That's why it's called the holy city. It's the city that God dwelt in. Now watch this. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is already made coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, beauty. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Who sits on the throne? God himself, the great authority, the Lord. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The new Jerusalem is where God will dwell physically, where Mary will be able to embrace Jesus once again. Where you, friend, I believe, will be able to embrace your Savior. Touch Him physically with your renewed physical body. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither th shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, I love that. This was written about 2,000 years ago, and we live in this reality of pain and tears and death, and yet it's declared as if it's already done. The former things have passed away. Past tense. Friends, do you realize that the resurrection as a first fruit is even promising this for us, a new heavens, a new earth, where what we know of tears and trials and depression and upsets and pain will not be a reality. This is good news. Friends, this should bring you joy now, but also hope for the future. I've had some bad days. I'm only 41, but I've had some bad days. And if I didn't have something out ahead to look forward to and to say, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. I'm not always going to live in this space. I don't know that I would want to live. If there was nothing out ahead to look forward to, how do you endure? That's my question. And okay, now we understand why so many people are addicted and why so much alcohol gets sold. Friends, we have hope out ahead of us as Christians. The resurrection gives us great anticipation for the future. Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. When God says it is done, it's going to happen. I am the alpha and the omega, which means the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. How many of you remember that from Isaiah? 
Come, drink of the water without price. You who are thirsty, come and drink. Living water, John chapter 7, without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, now verse 8, we don't like. Okay? And, I, and, and sometimes you're tempted to like, I could just go to verse 7. There's nothing wrong with that. No one would notice. However, I want you to hear verse 8, because this is a biblical reality that we must not only face, but we must also proclaim to others. This is what the Bible says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, you remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he gave this list of terrible sins. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed from your former way of living. Friends, you should be actually happy that verse 8 is in there. Because you know what? If heaven had cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral people, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, you know what it would be like? It would be just like living here. You know, different. Now, in that list, we can find all ourselves, can't we? You can look at one of those descriptions and be like, yeah, that's me. All of us, if we're honest, can find ourselves in verse 8. But the truth of the resurrection is, in Christ, we've died with him. And verse, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 6 says we've been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Friends, I've lived a foul, disgusting life. And sometimes Satan likes to bring that old life back to remembrance. And I just shake my head and say, I can't believe that I was like that. And then you know what I immediately do? This is my practice. That Chris is dead and buried, never to rise again. And I am encouraged and I can move on mentally. I don't dwell there. That's the reality of resurrection. I am renewed now and my hope is I will be fully renewed in the future. Friends, if you find yourself in this list, the hope for you is if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you believe, you are washed, cleansed, renewed. And one day, the hope is you will be fully resurrected, alive, never to sin again. Can you imagine a world with not only no temptations externally, but no capability to be tempted inwardly? You know what it's like to be attracted to what you should not be attracted to, right? It's called temptation. Imagine nothing outside to tempt you and nothing inside to be attracted to temptation. We can't even imagine a world like that. We don't have categories for it, but that's where we're headed. Never to sin again. No more tears. No more dentist appointments. That's the one I always love. I, I think of heaven and no dentists are there. And I love you if you're a dentist in here. Just, I love it, you know? Probably no teeth whitening either. You know how much money we spend on teeth whitening and toothpaste and all that? And imagine the best coffee times 10. 
probably growing in your backyard. You know, if you don't like coffee, imagine tea plants that you can harvest yourself. And the idea here is we in Christ have hope of future glory. Last verse and we're done. So Hebrews 11.10, some of you might know this, but this is the theme verse of Eternal City Church. It's on all of our memorabilia. It's on our logo. It's on the Gospel Center Community Discussion Guides. And it is, in context, Abraham is the he, was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What's happening here is Abraham leaves his wealth, he leaves his known, he leaves everything that's precious to him, and in faith, he listens to God, and he goes out. And the writer of Hebrews, probably Paul, I'll throw my cards on the table, probably Paul, says, look, the reason Abraham was able to look at all that he had and leave it all behind was because he was looking for a more sure, grounded city. One whose architect and builder is God. This is the new Jerusalem. The reason eternal city has this verse, Hebrews eleven ten, 10 is our verse, is because let's live our lives now for the city of Pittsburgh where we live, but for the sake of that eternal city where we will live forever. Let's populate the new Jerusalem. Let's populate the new heavens and the new earth if God will but use us with his gospel. Let's bring as many people with us into this hope as we can. This is why we're here, friends. And then just a few verses later, Hebrews 11, uh, 13 and 16, we read this. These all, talking about everyone from chapter 11, 4 through 12, died in faith. God made promises to them, yet they died believing, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Okay? What this means is, friends, if you don't imagine yourself in this earthly existence as a stranger and an exile, it will multiply your depression and your anxiety and your sadness and your fear. But if you see yourself here temporarily, which is the truth, this is just my temporary home. I'm here as an exile. I'm here simply as a stranger, a foreigner. This earth is not my home. If you continually remind yourself of that truth, you will not be so crushed when disappointments inevitably come. When fortunes fade and castles crumble, if you will. It's going to happen. Yet if you remind yourself, this is temporary. This is this home that I live in. Paul even calls his body a tent. Remember, tents are for a very temporary stay. Buildings with foundations, we make homes. Okay? And so when this temporary tent experiences pain and suffering, and it's not doing what you'd like it to do, All I have to do, friends, is sleep in my son's bed with him because he can't sleep, and I get up in the morning, and it feels like I went to war the day before. I'm I'm sore. I'm cracking my neck. I'm taking like eight Tylenols, more like two or three ibuprofen and two or three Tylenols. It's a good mix. But, verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country. 
Friends, have you ever desired more than what is for your earthly existence? Let me see your hands up. At times, this happens to you, okay? We don't spend all our time there. That would be pretty bad. But there are times when the disappointment is so heavy and the weight of life and existence comes bearing down on you and you feel like this, I desire a whole nother existence and world. Friends, you will have it if you're a Christian. This is the hope of resurrection. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. I am so excited to move beyond this life. Now, I'm going to live this life that God gives me to the full. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to make as many lasting friendships as I can. I'm going to bless as many people as I can. As Paul says to Timothy, let's do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. But friends, what I do here, I am intentionally storing up treasure in heaven. I'm living my life in such a way that when I am gone, not all is lost. Rather, I can say with Paul, gain. Because my treasure is not here on earth. My treasure I've sent up ahead to this eternal city, to this eternal country, to this new reality of a new heavens and a new earth where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. There my treasure is. And so if I lose everything here, you know what? Gain. Gain. So where are you at? That's the question. Where are you at today? Does does the reality of everything being lost here crush you? Or do you have hope that everything will be gained in the future? If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you. This life is just the introduction to a thousand-page novel. And that's not even, that's not even putting the, the picture correctly to eternity. Our existence will go on forever, friends. And what you do with Jesus matters to your eternal existence. Jesus died on the cross. We celebrate Good Friday. He was buried that Friday night. He spent Friday night and Saturday in the grave. And on the third day, Resurrection Sunday, he was alive. And he is the first fruits of a whole new creation. Friends, that's our future. You must remind yourself of these things. You must continuously tell yourself, I am headed for eternal glory and joy and renewal. And the disappointments of this life are real and tangible and visceral. They're real. But yet they're not the end of the story. Isn't that good news? And so we have hope beyond this life and our hope is Christ. Our hope is the resurrection. Not just Jesus' resurrection, but he being the first fruits our resurrection personally and the resurrection of the very ground you're sitting on and standing on right now. So imagine a couple billion years, we regather here in this very spot and we have a worship gathering. You know, that's an actual possibility. Maybe with minds to even remember 
Okay. We're going to take communion and remember Jesus' body broken and blood shed for us. And then we're going to um, celebrate by having a few snacks and hanging out. We do have snacks in the back for everybody to celebrate Easter, uh, to celebrate resurrection. So the worship team can make their way up. We do communion every week here at Eternal City Church because the cross, the death of Jesus, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the center of all human history. It's the most important event in human history. And so we celebrate it every single week here at Eternal City Church by taking communion. Here's my encouragement. If you are believing in Jesus tonight, take communion with us. Celebrate Jesus' body broken for you. If you're not a Christian tonight, but maybe you want to become a Christian tonight, what I said tonight was moving something inside of you, and you know that you might be in Revelation 21.8 instead of 1-7, through you can trust in Jesus tonight for the forgiveness of your sins. You can believe in him and be one of those who will also be raised from the dead. My encouragement would be take communion with us as an act of faith, as a declaration that you too will one day be resurrected with the resurrected Christ. Celebrate communion with us. See the stone is rolled away. Behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah. God be praised. He's risen from the grave. I want to encourage you also that we can, as Christians, enjoy the good things in a more full way because of the resurrection. Did you know that? You shouldn't feel guilty for enjoying the good things of this earth. All good things come from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James 1.17. Do you know why you can enjoy every good, legitimate gift in a more full way? Because it is a preview to the coming good that is capital G. So we experience small g good, even children. They're good. They're gifts of God, but they point to the greater good that is coming. And so friends, when you experience the goodness of God in creation, a good meal, a good laugh, uh, friendship, singing songs with your church, musical instruments, uh, so many good things, right? We have so much goodness if we would take a moment to think about it. All these point to the future good that will be ours for eternity, and it will be multiplied in its goodness. That's what we have to look forward to, friends. Jesus in our place makes hope possible. In him, we have future resurrection hope for ourselves, for our loved ones, for the whole creation, even the universe. Let's remember Jesus' body broken and bloodshed, the first fruits of all those risen from the dead. Father, we thank you that we have great hope because of the resurrection. Father, we look into the future and it is bright. Father, may we not listen to the lies of the enemy that would try to pull us down to his depression and despair and hopelessness. Father, even in the good things that you've given us, may we see in them 
a preview, an appetizer of the coming good that we will experience forever. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who's hurting, who's suffering, who finds the tears and the pain and the depression and the anxiety. God, would you draw near to them and may the resurrection of Jesus give them hope this day and moving forward. Father, I pray that we would all be brought deeper into your love. Father, thank you for coming after us as you did our first parents when they sinned against you. We thank you that you do not leave us to our sin, but you come after us and you save us. You've made a way, Jesus, to the Father, and you are that way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by you. And we thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name, everyone said...